witnessing the gospel. Okay. Anybody know what pastor's been speaking on? This is a test. Well, I know, I know you know, but just as a little bit of review, we put some stuff on the, on the screen so you can just review a little bit. Because we've been talking about how some of our repressed sin has left some marks on our soul that need to be, need to be forgiven, right? And they've created some buttons for us. They really are. There they go. Footholds, the enemy in our lives. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we did talk about some of the reasons that people reject Christ out of hand. Some of them are just ignorant. It's not a bad word, right? It sounds bad, doesn't it? Because we use it bad, kind of the inflection. But some people are ignorant. You go to the next slide. They're ignorant. And then, and anyway, and then last, two weeks ago, we talked about being aroma, living letters, reflection, ministers, jars of clay. And then last week we did, we talked about the gospel, didn't we? And the reason we did is because so many times we're dealing with, with people who do not understand what we're talking about, like those two little babies. And we speak a different language and they have no idea. It's almost like we're passing people like we've from a different country and, and we just don't even speak the same language. It's almost, it's, it's almost like we're not even from the same planet sometimes. So let's, let's just review for a minute. Anybody remember these? For real, anybody remember? Now, let me, let me help you with this for just a minute. I know that anytime somebody gives you something like this and, you know, it's hard to get your mind around this, this system or program. I'm not trying to give you a new program or system. All I was trying to do is give you a flow for how to share the gospel with people. And if that's helpful for you, good. If you have another system that works better, that's great. But this is a, a system that does flow. It does have a, a progression to it that makes sense. So if we were to look at it for just a minute, we say uh, God created us to be with him. Anybody have that memorized? And here's the important thing. Honestly, if it doesn't come from your heart and it's not something that is natural for you, you need to put this in your own words and make it work for you. So don't, don't try to be forced into these words or you know, any acronym like that. That's not, that's not the point. The point is the progression and the flow there. So God did create us to be with him. Anybody remember O before they put it up there? Oh, the, <laughs> great. Okay, our sins, our sins separated us from God. It was what we did, our sins. Okay, anybody remember the S before they put it up there? You do? Oh, because he has the handouts. All right, does anybody else remember the S? What? That's right. Good works don't remove sin. Sins, I mean, to, to fit it into the acronym, you can start with S, but, but if it flows better for you, just remember, I mean, sin, you, can't, you can't get rid of them yourself by doing all the hard work. That's just not how it works. And then the P was, who paid for the sin? Christ, right? Paying the price for sin. Christ died and rose again. Don't forget that. Very powerful part of the gospel. And that leaves us with E, which is Everyone, everyone who trusts in Christ has eternal life. Only, right? Only him alone. Okay, and then what was the last one, L? This is my favorite, I have to be honest. Life with Christ starts now and then lasts forever. It's not something that's just, you know, in the, in the, the what is that saying? The old by and by or sweet by and by? It's not something that's just going to happen eventually. It starts now. This life with him starts now. And said another way, you're saving people from the hell they're going to, but also the hell they're in. You like you can say hell in church. Pastor says some words in church Sunday. 
I don't know if you're here, but that was Eunice. Okay, she, that's right. She was, he was quoting Eunice. And what you couldn't hear because we were sitting up front, he said he didn't allow her to say that. And then she leaned over and he goes, she might, he might hear that again later today. So, <laughs> all right, well, you can say hell right now because what we're trying to do is save people from the hell they're in and the hell they're going to. You, you, you look at it both ways. Whatever works for you. I don't think that'll work when you're sharing Christ with people. But what we did is we did print out some, just, just if you guys can hand those out while we're talking here, just to kind of give you a little cheat sheet on that. You can stuff it in your Bible. Maybe make some notes. I, I added a lot of scripture verses, even some that we didn't talk about last week. So if you, you want to use it as a study and find some kind of a flow that works for you. How, anybody here ever use the four spiritual laws? Anybody? Raise your hand real lo- high, real loud or high. Really? Only about five of us? I, I know that was a campus crusade tool, and, and uh, some of you may not have been exposed to that ministry over the years, but that was, that was a great tool, but it didn't really flow well for me, but it made sense, and it worked. And I love the principles of that, of that tool, and I'm just bringing that up just to emphasize the point that whatever works for you, you need to make this personal so it flows for you. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight, I mean, I, I, uh, I have been thinking about this for tonight. I don't know if you ever do this where you've got something to do, but you're thinking about the next thing. That's what this tonight has been, and actually next week, too. And I'm going to give you just a little preview. Next week, one of my favorite topics is a resurrection. We don't really talk about it a lot in church, and I mentioned that before, that nearly you know, every sermon in the New Testament, the preachers in the New Testament mention the resurrection, but we seldom do. And I, I'm not saying that that's bad. It's just, I mean, that, it just happened for them. But it's a powerful thing. And the Bible says that the resurrection is the power of the gospel. It validates the gospel. So next week, I'm going to give you some reasons, uh, really good reasons, why any, even a skeptic should consider the implications of the resurrection. Because you really, it's really difficult to deny the facts of the resurrection. And I know just saying that sounds absurd. It does, doesn't it, in our, way, in our day today? How could, how could I so, with such assurance, say that it's difficult to deny the reality of the resurrection? I mean, that sounds absurd. And probably some of you are saying, man, he wouldn't say that around my smart friends. Well, t- next week, I'll give you just some reasons why even they, your smart friends should consider this, consider this a reality, a historical proven event. That's what we're going to talk about la- next week. So I'm just, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I keep thinking about these things. Okay, so here's what I want to talk to you about tonight that I'm so excited about. How many of you uh, know a lawyer? I know, I know a couple. Anybody know a lawyer? Any, any lawyers in here before? <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to be in trouble with any lawyers. Um, but lawyers are famous for saying, for arguing, right? And they're, they're supposed to be good at arguing. Anybody else know anybody? Maybe they're not a lawyer, but they're a good arguer. And by good, I mean bad, right? Because they cheat, right? Arguers, good arguers cheat. And they use uh, fallacies of logic or they use tricks to prove their point. I mean, good arguers do that. I mean, bad arguers, right? Right? Am I right? Maybe you're married to one. I've been accused of that before. Probably, probably true. But there's a famous, famous line about lawyers. They say, uh, if you're a lawyer and you have the law on your side, that you pound the law in court. And if you don't have the law on your side, but you have the facts on your side, then you emphasize the facts. Right? Well, what if you don't have the law or the facts? Then you pound the desk. Have you ever heard this? 
And basically that's a tool that, that lawyers, I mean, it's a joke of lawyers, but the truth is what you do is if you don't have the facts and you don't have the law, then you, you've got to obfuscate somehow. You've got to confuse. You've got to distract. You've got to argue about something that's not really the point. And people do that constantly, constantly. And maybe you've heard it put this way. If you don't have the law or the facts, then you attack the witness. And somehow you have to discredit the witness who has the law and the facts. And, and most of us have all seen on TV, you know, whether it's Perry Mason or Matlock or, you know, CSIs or any of these modern shows where you see lawyers, you know, you, you always, we've all seen, if not personally, at least we've seen dramatized some lawyer who wins a case that shouldn't have by using one of these tactics, right? Well, let me, let me tell you that we live in a society that is constantly pounding the table, constantly. I have found very, very seldom in my life that people really want to talk about the facts of Scripture or the facts of the truth of Scripture or ways that we can defend their faith. Very few people really, really want to debate the facts. They just don't want to. And why they don't want to is because the truth and and the implications of those facts and what it means if this is true. If this book is true, then this means that I have to change my life. And people don't want to do that. So what are they going to do? They're going to pound the table. They're going to distract. Somehow they're going to distract and get you to look in another direction. Or I've even had people, I, not too long ago, I was talking with somebody and they said, you know, the Crusades. <laughs> and I just, it was probably the wrong response, but I just started laughing. And they said, well, the Crusades were horrible. And again, I just started laughing. And they said, well, haven't you seen the movies? <laughs> Look at like, do you know history at all? I mean, do, do you know why the Crusades happened? And, we, and we, we started talking, but they didn't want to talk about that. They didn't want to talk about the truth in the history. They didn't want to talk about anything. All they wanted to do was pound the table. Because somehow the Crusades being bad and Christians in the name of God and the church doing bad things meant that they didn't have to listen to this anymore. See how that works? And people will do it in your daily life with a ton, in a ton, ton of ways. But one thing that we should at least take a little assurance in and a little comfort is that it didn't start with us. This has been happening for a long time, even uh, in the Bible. Now, what I want to do first, though, is take us to an example where this wasn't happening. Now, on the day of Pentecost, we love this, right? We're Pentecostals. What happened? Holy Spirit fell. Then what happened? Tongues of fire. Okay, that's the part we like. But then what happened else in the story? What happened next? Say again. 3,000 people got saved. And right before that happened, Peter preached a sermon. Can we look real quick on the screen and see what Peter preached? Peter Piper picked. On the screen in a second will be what, some of what Peter preached. In Acts chapter 2, if you just turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Y'all have your Bibles, right? You know, I love putting scripture on screen. But there is a downside to that because it seems like people don't, aren't used to using their own Bible and are not really equipped to, you know, be familiar with where the verses are and, and how that is. We're just where our kids are learning that they're at that age where they're learning what that means in the colon and the next word and, you know, even semicolons and dashes in, in the Bible references. And it's amazing to look at that and think, my, you know, if you're not used to that, I can see why that'd be very, very confusing, especially for someone who's not a Christian. And if you're ever with someone who's not a Christian, and you're trying to show them those verse, these verses you know, you're not going to have a projector there. And honestly, it's not the best thing just to quote them a verse because they may be impressed or you may be with your ability, but 
but if you, it would be so far better if, if you would be able to turn to it and show them where it is. So many people have never even held a Bible, never touched it, don't even know what it is. And it seems so foreign to them. I, I just encourage you to do that. But if we're looking here at Acts 2.22, Peter preaches this sermon. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him, where? In your midst, just as you yourselves know. What is Peter doing here? He is using the very audience that he's preaching to as an eyewitness to what he's preaching about. He's basically saying to them, you know this happened. This guy I'm talking about, you were here when he did these things. It is very possible, since this only happened, you, I'm not going to try to give anything away here, but Pentecost means what? Pente is 50. It's a Jewish holiday, 50 days after another really important holiday. Anybody remember? Do you like this? Feel like you're in school again? To get your mind going and you're thinking, oh, I don't know the answer. I want to raise my hand. But, okay, I know that's probably why you're not sitting on the front row. I see how it is. It's okay. It's okay. Well, I, I like to do this because I feel like it helps our minds work a little bit and think, and it helps you associate things that you know. You know these answers. You just, you didn't realize they're probably all associated. And what happened on the, on the holiday of, of Passover right before this particular Pentecost? Someone with all the answers is sitting right over here, and he just keeps saying them out loud. He's like the, he, oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, so Jesus was crucified. He was our Passover lamb. Do you see the symbolism here? See how God does this? And then 50 days later was another Jewish feast, Pentecost, and it was the harvest feast. It was celebration of bringing in the harvest, and it was during this time that, that Peter was there, and he's preaching this sermon. So he's preaching this sermon to Jews who are in town for a big holiday, okay? And he's using them as witnesses to what he's preaching about. So then it goes on. And he says, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Why do you think he threw that in? He's a clever preacher. What's he really saying there? This was God's idea. Not only was it God's idea, but he had it planned this way. He wasn't caught surprise by surprise by the crucifixion. That didn't surprise God. He knew that he was going to sacrifice his son. Scripture tells us that Jesus was the lamb crucified from the foundations of the earth. He wasn't surprised. So what is Peter doing? He's bringing this all back to their memories. Kind of like what I'm trying to do with you. Uh, Delivered by a predetermined plan, foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. Now it's getting hot and heavy in there. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men And put him to death. Who were the godless men? The Romans. Jews didn't really like the Romans. Despised the Romans. But they're more than willing to use the Romans to do what they couldn't do. Legally, they couldn't put a man to death. But they knew the Romans could. That's why they trumped up the charges and went to Pilate and did all that. Verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, sticking it to him just a little bit. In verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Wouldn't it be nice to get your friends and family who need Christ to that point? I have to be honest, I've never had that happen. I've had students, you know, maybe in a service or something or a camp or something like that. 
But I honestly have never been sharing Christ with somebody who fell down on their knees and said, Dennis, what do I do? Anybody else had that happen? It does happen. It just never happened to me. I'm just saying, I don't want you to get the idea that it's got to happen this way. It happens all different ways. Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Imagine that. I really want you to imagine it because you realize, I hope, that there were no churches then. There were no churches, let alone churches with 3,000 people in them. Now, there was a Jewish state with Jews who were cultural Jews, spiritual Jews. They would go to the temple, but there was no church. There was no synagogue, you know, smaller places where Jews could go if they weren't going to the temple. There were no synagogues that would hold 3,000 people. That did not exist. So when this happened, this was unprecedented. Now, today we hear about that all the time. Big churches here, big churches there, all different denominations all over the world. This was brand new, brand new, changed everything in the church. I just want you to get the scope of what was going on there. And that happened because, who was Peter preaching to again? (laughs) There there was Romans there. She said Romans. There were Romans there because remember it was a holiday. So Jews would come from literally all around the region. If they could get there for these holidays, these are high holiday days. These are big deals in Jerusalem. This happened right in the city, very important place. And the Bible specifically says, now we can get back to the Pentecost story that we love so much. Remember they were speaking in tongues and what did the people say that heard all the tongues? What did they say? (laughs) That's not my favorite part. There's a part I like better right before that. We, why do we hear these guys praising God in our languages? There were visitors from Rome. You're right. Pastor confirmed that. Not only that, it says that there were people from all over. So you had people in Jerusalem. Obviously, you had you had Jews, you had Romans, but then you had people from all over the region. They were Jews, but they were from different parts of the world, spoke different languages. And on that day of Pentecost, they heard they heard these apostles in the 120 in the upper room praising God in their own language. All these different languages were spoken. That's an amazing scene. But let me. Let me point something out. When Peter was preaching that day, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the fact that 3,000 people got saved. That's amazing, unprecedented. But could we be honest? He was preaching to the choir, right? He was pe- preaching to people who were ripe for salvation. They wanted to hear it. These were people who were true believers and coming to the, they were coming to Jerusalem to, to celebrate this feast. And when they heard this sermon, Peter put it all together for them. They had been looking for the Messiah when he when he said that and he kind of poked him a couple times and you crucified him. You know, that had to prick their hearts and they realized that he was telling them the truth. You know what I pray for? I pray for people like that to come to church and hear the gospel. I pray for people like that to come upon your path for, for you to be in fellowship with people who want to hear so badly. But could we be honest? Most of our world today are not like this. They are not like these people. These were very religious people already. And they were ripe and ready to see the Messiah come and fulfill all their dreams and desires. They were ready for that. Most of our world, though, they're not there. Most of the world that we live in, unfortunately, unfortunately, oh, go ahead and show that next verse. 
Look at Acts 2.5. I was just going to show you who these people were. They were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's who Peter was preaching to. Now, when Paul started preaching, his audience was different. And I would say today that his audience was far more like our audience today than Peter's. Look at what Paul was up against. And this comes out of 1 Corinthians 1.22. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. That's where we are. Unfortunately, most people in our world today, the biblical foundation is not there. And I've mentioned this over and over, and I, you know, pardon me for repeating myself, but I do that because it, 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 it's important. I want you to understand this. Most of the people you deal with don't have a biblical knowledge or history. They don't understand it. They don't get it. When you talk to them about the Middle East and events going on there, they don't have any idea what has happened there over the course of history. I mean, they, they think that, that, you know, Gaza and the Palestinians are the original inhabitants of that area. They have no idea that the Arabs have imported people for centuries and repopulated. I mean, that's, that's what Muhammad did. As he would go on from the, from the year 600 on, when they would, when they would conquer somebody, they were, they were vicious. And they weren't the first ones to do this. The Assyrians did it. The Babylonians did it. What they will do is they would go into an area. They would kill everybody who wouldn't convert. If you, if you would convert, then you could be Muslim or you could pay a tax. And often your tax could be in the, in the price of your own children. They would actually have a tax. It would be your children. Then they would take your children and raise them as Arab Muslims and then use them to fight against other countries. That's what they did. And then not only that, as they killed people and decimated population groups and ethnic groups that lived originally in these areas, they would bring Arabs in to repopulate those areas. So what we think of now historically, you know, you go to the Middle East and everybody's Arab. It didn't used to be that way. When you hear about Coptic, uh, Coptic Christians in Egypt, those are original Egyptians. The people who live there now, most of those people aren't the original inhabitants of those areas. It wasn't like that then. The, the Muslims have repopulated and re-given uh, new ethnicities to all of the Middle East. All of that has changed. I, I mention that because all of that has changed. So when, when I go back to this, when we talk about the fact that the people you're dealing with today, they don't really have a context of what, what is happening. They don't have a biblical framework that these people that Peter was preaching to did. Instead, what we deal with is people like this. We preach Christ to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. So what do you do with that? I mean, what has really happened? I've got, I put it here some, let me, let me tell you what's happening. What happens is people... People have been lied to. And this lie started early. And I talked about this earlier uh, last week or the week before. It really goes back to Genesis chapter 3. All of this does. And think about how this works. If you want to ruin somebody's character, remember what I said about lawyers? You attack the, the witness, right? And what did, what did the enemy of our souls do with Eve? Let's, let's read it exactly what she did, what he did. Genesis chapter 3, we're going we're gonna to look at verse number 1, verses 4 and 5. It's very subtle, but let's look at it in verse. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now to read this correctly, you've got to put a little voice inflection in here. I think he sounded like this. I think he said, for real? Has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? For real? Is that what he said? And when he said it that way, I think what he was doing 
was trying to instill in her a little bit of doubt about God. Why would God do that? Why would he say that? I mean, why couldn't we have every tree? I mean, didn't he make everything perfect and good? In creation, didn't he say everything I made and then look back and say he looked and said it was good? Why not this tree? Hmm, why not this tree? What's up with that? And then the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. You're not gonna die. He knows you're not gonna die. You're not gonna for real die. Then he said, for God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, and he doesn't want you being like him. He wants you being under him. That's what he wants. And he put complete doubt and mistrust of God. He planted those seeds. We do the same thing with people, right? A little bit of gossip. Someone you don't like. Tell a story about someone. Or maybe you try to expose their true motives that show that they're not really that honest and pure and good. So they couldn't be that trustworthy, right? We all know how that works, but it started way back in the garden. And that kind of thing has progressed and progressed. In fact, it's gotten worse and worse. And how does it happen with our Bible? I, I took this little cartoon from Ken Ham's website because it's very illustrative, illustrative. Look at what's happening here. If you look over here, you can look at either side. It doesn't matter. If you look at here, you have two, two worldviews competing in our, in our society today. On the right side, you have God's worldview that's based on God's truth, the Bible. Everything is based on that book. And remember what I said? If that book is true, then we've got to change our lifestyle. And in the world, they have a whole different mindset. The man came from nothing. Everything came from nothing. No, no, no one thing has any more value than another thing. Did you hear that the UN was actually considering today? I heard it on the news today. said that the UN was considering uh, giving, giving the earth the same protection, human rights that it's giving people. <laughs> Looking at that thinking, well, I guess that makes sense. If we're all the same and we all came from animals, it doesn't really make any difference. So what happens in our world today, what we usually do as Christians, if you see this silly little cartoon, if you look up on the right side, you've got that first little guy. He's actually shooting at the foundation himself. And what that's supposed to illustrate is the fact that a lot of Christians, because they want to be in or they want to be considered smart or for whatever reason, unfortunately, there's a lot of times where Christians aren't really sure about the gospel so they're more than willing to make a little compromise here or there on whether, what's truth. And in doing so, they create doubt in people. They create doubt in other Christians or even young people. And then you look at these guys up on the top, the guy on the right, he's actually aiming at another Christian. We know that happens in the church, right? I've always heard we're the only army that shoots its wounded. And then you see the guy on the left, he's just shooting away at, he's shooting away at all the things that, that end up happening as a result of this, of this worldview on the left. On the left, it happens with evolution. You know, man decides what's truth. There's no real sure truth. It's we can make up our own rules, which ends up in all these, all these, these painful things over here on the left. So he's shooting at the balloons, not shooting at the people doing it or shooting at their foundation. He's just shooting at the problems. And we do that most of the time, right? We attack the symptoms, not the root problem. Hmm. I know it's a silly cartoon, but kind of illustrates the point. Because if you can damage the Bible or damage people's faith in this book, then you don't have to worry about what the book says because the book is nonsense. And unfortunately, just that scripture that I showed you, people scoff at Christianity or scoff at the truth just like they did for Paul. They look at it as foolishness. Why? Because they don't know what this book's about. They don't know why they should believe in it. All they've heard is that some old white guys wrote it and all men, 
There's no way. It's, it's all men. I mean, it's his story, right? History. How can you trust it? I mean, the Bible says that God says, I'm not a man that I shall lie. He didn't say anything about women. So Paul had the same problem. Unfortunately, I think there are times when even Paul at first was answering questions that they didn't ask. Do you remember how Paul was trained? He was trained as a Jew of Jews under, under one of the leading Pharisees of his day. Gamal, I think was his name. He was, he was a great Jew. And he talks about it. He brags about it. Not really, but he's saying, I could brag if I was going to brag. I'm the Jew's Jew. So probably when he first started preaching as a Jew to non-Jews, they probably looked at him like, we don't care about your God. We got our own gods. Our gods are better than your gods. <laughs> they had a whole different belief system than him. So as we look at this, this uh, verse real quick, oh, go show that next ca- cartoon, would you, Chris? I just wanted to show you real quick. You can see how these two different foundations lead to totally different things. One ha- on the right, you've got man's opinion. On the left, God's word. One says there's actual creation. You can trust the book. The other talks about evolution. We didn't come from anything. There's no reason for us to be here. No purpose in our life, in our creation, our existence. Everything you see came from nothing. So why follow any laws? They're always, they're just the construct of whatever society for whatever time we're in. Doesn't really have any eternal meaning. So you, you end up with all these other things. On the left side, if you actually do have creation and there's purpose, then laws make sense because they come from a lawgiver who has a purpose and a design in mind. Marriage all of a sudden makes sense because it was his design. Do you realize that, that the way we do marriage in, in America, our concept of biblical marriage doesn't really, didn't really exist out of Judaism, outside of Judaism Christianity? It didn't exist. That doesn't make it wrong. What it means is the whole world has been living, just serving themselves for a long time. And what's the rule in humanity? Might makes right, right? Think about all of human history. Whoever's stronger rules for the worse. And they're always selfish about it and they're always horrendous. That's how the world has been ruled from creation on, except when God was able to communicate what he really wanted to people, first through the Jews and then their job they were supposed to represent him to everybody and everybody would come and, and find the, the true God and then through Christianity, so anyway, let's look at, let's look at what uh, that next verse in Acts 17, 18. What we're doing now is we're going to hop over and look at what Paul was doing. So in Acts 17, 18, Paul is running into all of this, these Greeks who think that the cross is foolishness. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, which probably didn't make any sense to them. But I love this. At least they were curious and wanted to hear him out. So in Acts 17, 19 to 20, the next couple verses, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this teaching is, which you're proclaiming, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. So I want to show you really quickly a picture of, a, of a, uh, a Greek amphitheater, probably near where Paul was when he spoke. And as he spoke, what he did was he laid it out for them. Now, the Greeks, like I said before, they were similar to us. You can show that next cartoon, too, if you want, Chris. The Greeks were similar to us in, in our worldview at the time because they thought it was silly. 
everything that we have learned. And if you look right here, unfortunately, we have a situation in our world today where most of our state schools and colleges are teaching that, that the cross is foolishness. Did you know that 80, 80 to 85% of young people raised in a church like this? You know, a lot of times you hear these statistics and we want to say, oh, that's Catholics, right? Or no, that's not us. That's a Methodist. Or it's not like a real church that has worship and stuff. That's just like a church that's really boring. No. These statistics I'm telling you right now come out of evangelical churches where young people have been going to church at least two times a week. What kids go to church two times a week? Our kids. Kids that go to a church like ours. But 80 to 85% of them walk away from their faith after high school. Why is that? Well, extensive studies have been done about that. George Barna, he does a lot of studies into the church. And I love the way he does his studies because he'll find a statistic like that and he'll say, why is that? So then he'll go back and re-examine the same statistics and the same people and ask them follow-up questions. Why did that happen? One reason, one reason is because a lot of times young people didn't feel like they were part of the whole church, the main church. It's like we've done such a good job in youth ministry that they never were part of the church. They never came to church. They were always doing the youth stuff and never part of the real church. And I love that, see, Crown Point, that's not like that. One thing that impressed me immediately upon walking into Crown Point is the fact that, that we have all ages represented. And not just represented, but mixed around the congregation. And when I came to Raindown, I mean, there were seniors right up here worshiping right with young people. I mean, that is awesome. But the second reason that young people have walked away from the faith is because they were never taught why they should trust this book. They had a lot of fun. And they did a lot of youth stuff. But they didn't really learn why this book is something that they should be able to trust in. So when they went to school like that, like that, when they went to school like that, they ran into a professor or a smart friend or somebody who just told them how foolish this belief system was. And they realized, oh, yeah, that's true. If this is foolish, then I get to do what I want. And I don't have to follow these rules anymore. And there they go. Never go back to church. So with that said, what do we do about that? How do we, how do we stop that flow and what do we do when people are at that? How, do, how can you trust this book? I'm just curious real quickly. What, what are some reasons you might trust this? Because it works. That's a good argument. I like that argument. It does. It works. Did you know it's, it's kind of easy to show sometimes how these other belief systems don't work? It's kind of crass, but you could show sometimes how they don't work. Because if I'm the same as an animal, why shouldn't? I mean, I would never do this. Why, why shouldn't I just hit you right now? I mean, whose rules are those? I got my own rules. You got your rules. I got mine. I don't want to do that. I mean, you see that in the world all the time, right? All right, that's, I like that. I like that as a reason for trusting this. It does work. It's a system that makes sense and works because it was designed by somebody who had thought in mind and it makes sense. What's another reason? I'm just asking, I mean, and I'm seriously asking you this. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but what are your personal reasons for trusting this book? Why do you trust it? Why do you think it's true? Yes, Maggie. Can you talk loud enough for us to hear you? I think she said that my favorite preacher is Pastor Dennis, right? No, she said, uh, because he's real in your heart, and that was said in this book. Personal experience is a good argument. It's, it's, it's a good argument. It's a good argument because nobody can tell you that what you experience isn't true. I mean, it's an anecdotal argument in the sense that it's difficult to duplicate, and people can you know, say, well, that's true for you, but not for me. 
but it's a good argument. Why else is it real for you? Yes, ma'am. Fulfill prophecy. I like that one. You realize how many prophecies have been fulfilled by this book? And you know what they do when you try to throw fulfilled prophecies? A lot of people will try to, again, attack the, attack the messenger or attack the evidence, right? And they'll say, well, they weren't really fulfilled prophecies. People wrote them after it already happened and then acted like it was older. But that's such a lame, weak argument because this book is filled with so many prophecies that it's so easy to show that's not true. Because some of them, some of them happened, you know, four or seven hundred years before the events actually took place. So many of the prophecies about Christ happened a thousand years before he was born. So that's just it's such a weak argument. And the fact is that literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies are fulfilled in this book. What else? What's another good reason that you believe? Yes. And I like being on the winner's side. I do. I like that. I am not one of those people who turn off the TV when my team is winning. I love it. They run that score up. Yes. Yes. And uh, we're, we're not going to spend a whole night on this, but I would show you some evidences in, the, not in a few weeks. Um, he, what Pat said is that there's a mountain of evidences and they're easy to find. And that's true. There's archaeological evidence in this book. Things that, that scholars are just amazed at the accuracy and the specificity of the archaeological finds that this book has talked about. Things, I love this when, when archaeologists or scientists or whoever will doubt something in scripture and they'll proclaim it as, oh, this proves scripture is not true or, uh, you know, mistakes. And they'll, they'll say that like, you know, and then, you know, five years later, 10 years later, they'll find something that proves exactly what the Bible says. So we'll talk about some of that. Another mountain of evidence that's in here that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, but just the fact that there are so many fragments of this older book that have not been changed. You know, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and they found scrolls of Isaiah, very minute changes over a thousand years. <laughs> that's unbelievable, unheard of. So we'll talk about that. There is a mountain of evidence. Any other reasons you can think of that are meaningful for you? I'm talking about what works for you. Yes, ma'am. God inspired it. Anybody else? Before we move on. Yes, ma'am. Near death of your own? Wow, okay. That's hard to argue with. All right, good. Well, after we've talked about that, Paul, I love Paul because um, I I wish, you you know, I know I said this last week, I would love to have seen some things. I would have loved to have seen Paul in action. Uh, we, we have heard from early church fathers who have written about him that he was a cantankerous guy, kind of argumentative, and I think he was short and bald, they said. I, that's just interesting to me, but um, being this educated and this able, and, and we know that he was a, a Roman citizen, yet a Jewish, trained as a Jewish rabbi. I mean, what a unique guy. And, and who's going to hold, hold an argument with this guy? I mean, he would have been amazing just to watch him flow and do his thing. And all the churches he started and the situations he was in and the shipwrecks and beaten and left for dead, stoned and left for dead. I mean, an amazing guy. I would love to have just tagged along and just watched him work. Paul did something here. When, remember, he was running up against people, who, the Greeks who thought this was foolishness. The reason I'm bringing this story to you tonight and this kind of progression here is I want to show you what he did on Mars Hill. That was called Mars Hill, where all the, the philosophers would get together and talk. Let's, let's take a look at what Paul did. So if we look at Acts 17, verse 22 to 23, it says, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. How do you say that, Pastor? The Areopagus, of course. 
and said, uh, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. What's he doing? Yeah, he's validating them. I was thinking, buttering them up, but validating them is good. That's, that's the right thing. That's what he was doing. I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make with anybody you're trying to share Christ with is to denigrate what they believe or act like you're smart or they're not, or no one likes that. Nobody likes that. I mean, that may be true, but nobody likes that. Don't you always need to, and you know what? There's great things you can validate in other people's faith. I mean, even if we're talking about someone who's in a, maybe another religion, even, I mean, there's, there are truths in other religions. They don't have the truth or the whole truth, but they have truths. I mean, there's things you can validate and things you can encourage and things you can appreciate about, about people. And when you do that, when you validate and you, and, and you tell what's great about that and you compliment, that, that builds a bridge to people, which, which is an amazing tool, an amazing thing. Paul did that. So he says, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What was he doing there? He was building common ground, wasn't he? He was finding a point of of commonality where they could relate to one another. What else was he doing? He was, again, validating them by observing what they do. He was paying attention. You know, nobody likes to be a project or be like, I mean, I I would never want it to be like that. But you know what people like is when you actually care about them and notice what's going on in their life. That matters. That matters. Nothing is going to change people more than seeing the true love of Christ lived out in your life by you paying attention to what's going on with them. And that that means when they're going through a crisis that you call and ask them, how's it going? Can I pray with you? I've been with friends of mine who are like, remember I had you raise your hands, those of you who really are like real evangelists. I've been with friends of mine, it's kind of embarrassing, but we sit in there and one of my friends will say, like maybe to a waiter, you can tell that something's going on and the guy's upset. Can we pray with you for a minute? Is there something you need to pray about? I'm thinking, man, I'm not that spiritual. I should have thought of that. But you know what that does to people? They look like, yeah, okay, all right. And, well, what's going on? And they tell you and you pray and, oh, my goodness. It changes the whole atmosphere of a room. And that person all of a sudden thinks, I mean, they, and it's real. It's not like they're just thinking this, but they think they cared about me. People don't want to be a project. They want to know you really, really care about them. Paul was good at this, where he, he took what was going on in the world and the place around them. He noticed what was important to them. And then he used that to build a bridge of connection and, and use it as a vehicle to, you'll see what he does here. So he says, you have an altar with the description to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And there is an entire sermon. I would challenge you really to read his sermon there. And basically what he does is he copied my G-O-S-P-E-L thing right there. No, he didn't. He didn't exactly. But, but he did. And if you show that next cartoon, Chris, this is what he did. That's not a very good picture of Paul because Paul, like I said, was short and bald. But, but that Greek guy standing next to him, Paul basically took him back to the beginning and explained to him 
that road from Genesis through God's word leading up to Christ, the cross. Because the cross doesn't make sense. We kind of talked about this last week when we, we were talking about Christianese, remember? I didn't pull out some of the words like blood. We talk about blood. People don't get that. What's the blood about? I mean, why did Jesus have to die like that? I mean, that's gruesome. Yeah, it is. It is gruesome. And they don't understand that unless you go back to the beginning and talk to them about what God's plan was from the beginning. God loved you enough to want relationship. Our sin broke that relationship. That relationship had to be paid for somehow. See, I'm just doing the gospel. I'm just rewording it to make it make sense a little bit more, right? And that relationship was broken, but something had to pay. And that payment was blood. Why blood? I mean, you could talk about that. It's a great, great way to, to build a bridge to people and show them where, why it makes sense. Because for a lot of people, the cross is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. It's silly, silly, until you show them why and where it comes from. So here's what I challenge you to do. The first thing I challenge you to do is to do what Paul did. He was observant and he listened. He paid attention to his audience. You can put up there, Chris, the observe and listen. We do the same thing. I, I mentioned the four spiritual laws. That's the tract. Actually, I know we'll never forget that we had to pass out in front of like Target when I was in high school. And um, all I wanted to do was get to the end of that tract so I could get back in the church van. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do. So if I could just get someone to stand there for long enough so I could whip through that thing. I was not paying attention to see if they understood it or any of that. I just wanted to be done with that experience. It was so painful and a awkward. I wasn't thinking about observing and listening, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'll never forget. One time I was doing a high school Bible study at this school and uh, I was riding, I, I rode my Harley up there and I wasn't really thinking about what I look like. Do you ever, do you ever do that? Not think about how you're dressed. And then all of a sudden you see people's reaction to you and you think, what are they looking at me like that for? It's just me. But yeah, you look like <laughs> you're here to rob us. You don't look right. I could, I'm not the best one to relate to them. Who's the best one to relate to them? It's their friends. It's their peers. It's their family. People who already have a relationship with them. You, you are in relationship. My guess is that the majority of the people that you're in relationship with need to know Christ and don't. The majority. I mean, unless you work at a church, because most of us are Christian here. But uh, the rest of us, Right? Some of us on this side, Jeremy over here. And <laughs> right. And I'm not trying to I'm not I'm just saying who better to reach them. Remember, I said a couple of weeks ago, I would love it if Jesus would just make appointments and come. But he doesn't do that. You're the you're the clay jar he chose to use. You're the minister of the gospel. And the, not only that, it goes both ways. Not only are you the best person to relate to them because they know you so well. But you're also the one who could be observing and listening to them and knowing what they need and pay attention and and validate what they already believe. You're the best one, the best person to do that. Paul did that. We should be doing that. The next thing is I challenge you to do is personalize your faith. And I know I gave you these cards. And the reason I did that is because I, I know for some of you, 
that was probably frustrating last week for me to go through those acronym and then you couldn't get it all written down or maybe you didn't have a pen and you're like, maybe you're one of those people, you know, like if there's a fill in and the pastor didn't say it or whatever. It's all right. I gave this to you, though, as a tool, not not for you to memorize it exactly. And that's not the point. The point, though, is for you to have this flow and for these scriptures to be familiar and for you to be able to use these when the time comes. I want to say this a lot, but Jesus wants your friends to know him more than you. He loves them more than you. He bled for them more than you. When you pray, I I was thinking about this this morning. I was praying for something that I knew God wanted to do. It wasn't like I was trying to talk him into anything. It was his thing. I was, I was, we were actually here for pastor's prayer and we were, I was praying about, um, this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday and the youth are doing a, doing a human video. And I was looking, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the people who are going to be here at church that God wants here to be here. You realize that he wants people to be here that need us to invite them. This is how it is. We're having some door hangers made that are, are going to be advertising Easter and then we haven't talked about this a lot because it's three weeks away, but we're doing an open house on the new wing and we want to invite some people in our area. We're going to have some of those for you too that you can use. And as I was praying, I was asking God, God, would you just bring people in here? And I, I got the thought, oh, that's an easy prayer to pray because he wants that too. I know he wants that. There are people that he wants, he wants to know him that as you pray for them, he's saying, Yes, daughter. Yes. Yes. This next one is maybe my favorite part of what Paul did. Use circumstances and surroundings to open up conversations. Now, I love talking to strangers. I know not everybody else does. My kids know when we go to Walmart, we're talking to people. It just it's going to happen. So they know. And uh, we were on vacation this last summer. And we were at this hotel and in this hot tub. And this guy got in the hot tub with us. And they knew. They knew we were going to talk. And it's not that, it doesn't have to be like really awkward. It, it's not, I just like to do what Paul does. I see what's going on. I talk to him. I find commonality and common ground. And then, now I got to be honest, it's easy because I'm a preacher. And whenever you ask somebody a question, usually it's just, it's just polite American conversation for them to ask you the question back, right? So what do you do for a living? And then eventually gets around to what I do. So that's, a, that's an easy way. I don't, sometimes I don't do that because it's too easy. But this happened one night. Uh, my kids weren't there, but I was in Walmart late. And this guy was in front of me in line. He had this huge scar on the back of his head. It was a round scar like that. And it looked like, it looked like a crater off the moon or something. I mean, it really did. And we're standing there in line. <laughs> I'm just standing there staring at this thing like this, you know. And I look behind me. You know, and two or three people behind me, they're like, wow, what is that? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. I said, I'm going to, and I felt like I was with my wife and kids because I said, I'm going to ask him. And they're like, no, no, no. (laughs) I got to know. I got to know what, how does that happen? What is that? So I just said, I said, sir, I I, I said, man, I'm not trying to be rude or nothing, but what the heck happened to your head? (laughs) And he's like, oh, I know, right? He goes, I always wonder what people are thinking when they're standing behind me because you can't help but look at that. Dude got shot in a car. His car was carjacked, and they shot him in the back of the head, 
And he goes, I don't know, man. It, it, didn't, it didn't go in my skull. He goes, I woke up in the emergency room and they're, you know, working on me back there and that's the best they could get that in the back there. So what do you say? Most people just go, wow. I said, wow, you came close to death. You ever think about what would have happened? Where would you go? We had a moment in a line at Walmart. And, and he didn't mind talking about it. He didn't mind. He had experienced it. He had walked that. He'd been close to eternity and he knew it. People know. And he just said, man, I did. He goes, I had to get my life right. And you know what I find? A lot of times people are Christians or they've, they've come close to being Christ. And, and it's so easy then to talk about, man, do you go to church anywhere? No, nah, I've been trying to find a church. I, you know, I don't fit anywhere. I don't. Uh, you know, I don't have time. I'm tired. I work all these hours. And it's so easy to say, I got a great church for you. I mean, and all, you know what's great about this too? We're in line at Walmart. So these people behind me are hearing the whole thing. It's almost like I get to share Christ with three people at once and I didn't even have to do any work. I just get to tell them about it. I, my challenge to you is to use things. Out, and again, I, maybe it's not you to ask the guy why the big scars on the back of his head, but... <laughs> but but stuff comes up, right? And with your friends, that, I mean, he's a stranger, but you have friends. Man, the videos of that tsunami in Japan, oh my gosh. I almost didn't want to look at them, but I had to. I mean, was it a 20-foot wave? Oh my gosh. I mean, you see entire ships and buildings floating and oh my goodness. The carnage, it was insane. How do you not talk about that? Everybody's talking about it. And it's not that hard then to take something that was happening and it's real. And it's not like you're being, using some cheap emotional thing. I mean, these are friends of yours, family members. And you say, man, I can't imagine if I'd have lost you. Can I tell you, you know, how sad that would have been? Because I really believe that. I mean, you know, you know, there's things that happen all the time. Man, I, I think about... The lady in the back talked about her near-death experience. When you've had an experience like that, that's yours. You own that. God gives us those things and then allows us to use those for him. Let me, let me close tonight like this. I want you to bow your heads for a second. I'm asking you to bow your heads because sometimes it helps us feel like we're alone and anonymous for a second. I, as I've been talking here, I was thinking about you know, that guy in Walmart. And to be honest, I thought about, as, as I was sitting here talking to you guys, I was thinking, man, there's some times where I don't say anything. I just don't feel like it some days and I just want to go in and go out. And to be honest, as I was speaking just now, I was feeling really guilty about that. And then it occurred to me that uh, sometimes you hear somebody speak and it sounds like we do this stuff all the time and it's not all the time. And I don't want you to feel guilty about that but I want you to know that God has people in your life that he needs you to talk to. That's how he set it up. So just really quickly, I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hand, but if you're sitting here and you're feeling guilt about that, that's not what I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I want you to understand this is not about guilt. It's about motivating you to talk to him, not guilt. Don't think that. The next thing though I wanna ask is this. There may be some of us here though who who knows somebody who needs to hear right now. 
Anybody have anybody in mind like that? You can raise your hand real quick. You know somebody for sure. My next question, though, is a little more personal. And I've said it a few times about how if we can get people to doubt this book, then we don't have to believe what it's about. And I'm just wondering, again, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm just, this is between you and God. But if you've had a little doubt and maybe you're feeling a little guilt about that, again, that's not the point. The point is to reassure you and to give you confidence and motivation. So here's what I'd like to do. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And last week we did this, and I, I want to do the same thing because maybe you're sitting by somebody different and more people praying is better. And if, if there's somebody that God is putting on your heart to pray for, I just want you to take a quick moment, just lean over and whisper a name to, your, to the person sitting near you. Just quickly do that. Go ahead and do that right now. Then we're going to spend the next few minutes in prayer. I want to encourage you, too, to use, use these opportunities. You know, Pastor preached last week, and, and uh, I needed to spend some time in prayer. He was talking about some of those areas in our lives that we need to have victory over. And if that's still on your heart and mind tonight, he works on those things. Would you stand with me? And as I pray for you, I just want you to feel welcome to come here if you want to pray down here at the altar or wherever you want to pray. <clears throat> Father, I lift up these these people who love you so much. God, we want to serve you.